This episode is brought to you by Podbean. Podbean is an easy and powerful way to start podcasting. We give you all of the tools you need for a successful podcast, such as unlimited podcast hosting, podcast distribution, monetization options for podcasts of any size, and live stream podcasting capabilities. Sign up today at www.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Hello, and welcome to episode five of A Murderous Affair. So today I had some really cool inspiration for this episode, and I want to give a quick shout out to the reason for this inspiration. This episode, we're going to be talking about Lavinia Fisher and the legend that she left behind. Um, now, the reason that I'm doing Lavinia Fisher is because recently I was doing this fundraiser where basically he will write you a poem, and in exchange, you're encouraged to leave a donation. Um, I filled out the form that he gave, and I wrote down, like, I wanted it to be about a murderous affair because I thought it'd be really cool to have like a little poem for the podcast. He came up to me after he's like, yours was so hard but I hope you like it and so I just want to give a shout out because I love this poem. I think it's great. Unfortunately, I didn't get his name but to whoever you are out there in the world, thank you for this. It's really exciting and I'm going to read it out loud because it's awesome. So it's an ode to Lavinia Fisher. I know you know who that is starfish bruises that never heal and life imitating life it is the truth when the waterfall eyes of a woman with nothing to lose are a scar upon your olive skin best to run a hide though she will find you it is truth a smile of a woman with everything to lose is tragic like an arizona monsoon unable to cry Dear fate and misfortune, you are proof that love exists. Isn't that awesome? So today we are going to be talking about Lavinia Fisher. So Lavinia Fisher is widely known as the first female serial killer in the United States, but as I've been researching more about her, it turns out that the so-called facts about her story are actually more like a fiction. So I'm going to actually be telling you two tales about Lavinia Fisher. The one that is most popularly known and the more historically accurate one. The legend of Lavinia Fisher starts something like this. John and Lavinia Fisher owned an inn called the Six Mile House on a lonely road outside of Charleston, South Carolina. The building was well maintained and was a welcome sight to weary travelers. But there were rumors that sometimes guests checked in and did not check out. One night, a fur trader named John Peoples stopped at the inn and was warmly greeted by the Fishers. The beautiful Lavinia Fisher was especially friendly. Peoples thought that they were being a little too friendly and he became suspicious of their intentions. That night, he could not sleep and he decided not to lie in the bed but in the corner facing the door so that he could see if anyone came in to attack him. His suspicions were confirmed when a trapdoor sprung dropping the bed into the cellar where John Fisher was waiting with an axe. Peoples escaped and hurried back to Charleston to tell the authorities. John and Lavinia Fisher were arrested and their property was searched. Human remains were found on the property, including many bodies in a lime pit in the cellar under the trap door. The Fishers were convicted of murder and sentenced to hang. Unrepentant, Lavinia Fisher went to the gallows in 1820 wearing her wedding dress. John Fisher pinned all the blame on his wife, but he was also hanged along with her. Lavinia's ghost is now rumored to haunt the old jail on Magazine Street in Charleston, as well as the Unitarian Cemetery. So that is the short and sweet general gist of the legend that is passed down about Lavinia Fisher. However, many historians have begun to question exactly what happened 
and the tales told in those events. Here is what historians have begun to piece together about the truth of Lavinia Fisher and John Fisher. So Lavinia Fisher was born in 1793, but any information about her childhood, her location of birth, or even her maiden name is unknown. But it is believed that Lavinia lived in the United States for most of her life. Lavinia married John Fisher, and both were part of a large gang of highwaymen who used two houses outside of Charleston, the Five Mile House and the Six Mile House, to kind of conduct their business out of. It's unsure if the Six Mile House was a hotel or an inn of some sort, but it did it did serve as a hideout for many of the local gang members. So in 1819, a wagon train in and out of Charleston was a huge part of the city's economy. It was a very profitable business that was being threatened by this large gang of highwaymen who were stopping wagons on the road and stealing the products and money. Now the victims were unable to identify their attackers and the authorities were powerless to act. Now back in 1819, there was this law called Lynch Law. And Lynch Law basically boils down to this. If there was a matter at hand that the townspeople felt that the authorities were powerless to stop. If enough of the townspeople got together and agreed on the course of action that they should take, then they can go and take justice into their own hands. And obviously this became a problem for many reasons, including where the phrase lynching comes from. So there was an article published in the Charleston News and Courier which said that a gang of desperados have for some time past occupied certain houses in the vicinity of Ashley Ferry, practicing every deception upon the unwary and frequently committing robberies upon defenseless travelers. As they could not be identified and therefore brought to punishment, it was determined by a number of citizens to break them up and they accordingly proceeded in a cavalcade on Thursday afternoon to the spot, having previously obtained permission of the owners of some small houses to which these desperados resorted to proceed against the premises in such a manner as circumstances might require. Also, apparently they didn't believe in periods, so all of that was read in one breath because it was a lot of commas. Whew. Okay, so this cavalcade, which is the word I'm going to be using because I think that's a fantastic word, uh, the cavalcade first proceeded to the Five Mile House, where they gave the people inside about 15 minutes to leave the premises before they threatened to burn it to the ground. Now, the occupants inside that house didn't leave within 15 minutes, but they all came rushing out when this group of people actually started lighting the house on fire. In the Six Mile House, the occupants saw the flames coming from the Five Mile House, and when the cavalcade came up to the Six Mile House, all of the occupants left. And so believing the work was finished, the majority of the cavalcade returned to Charleston and left one man behind named Dave Ross to guard it. Now, the next day, two men from the outlaw gang broke into the house and assaulted Dave Ross, driving him outside where he was surrounded by a gang of nine or ten men and one woman, who was thought to be Lavinia Fisher. Ross looked to Lavinia for help, but instead she choked him and shoved his head through a window. Two hours later, John Peoples was heading out of Charleston in his wagon and stopped near the Six Mile House to get his horse water. He was attacked by the gang, which included Lavinia Fisher, and they stole about $40 from him. Now, John Peoples rushed back to Charleston and got a hold of the authorities because and was able to actually tell them the identities of his attackers. He didn't know all their names, but he said that he had, quote, just cause to believe that among them was William Hayward, John Fisher, and his wife Lavinia Fisher, Joseph Roberts, and John Andrews. Having this information along with David along with Dave Ross's story, finally gave the authorities enough power to act. The sheriff got a bench warrant and set out for the Six Mile House. And this is where there's two different accounts of what happened. There's one account that says John and Lavinia Fisher, along with several members of the gang, gave up without a fight and were taken to jail in Charleston. There's another account that say that they were prepared to fight, but John wasn't willing to take the chance that Lavinia was going to get hurt in the crossfire 
and instead convinced everyone to surrender. As the gang members were arrested, John Peoples identified them as the group who robbed him, and Lavinia Fisher, along with John Fisher and the rest of the gang, were charged with highway robbery, which was a capital offense at the time, which meant death by hanging. This is where the part about the bodies being found at Six Mile House comes from. While they were waiting to go to trial, on a search for the grounds, two human remains were found within the property of Six Mile House. Now, they were thought to be the bodies of a white man and a black woman, and the black woman had been dead for at least two years, and nothing remained but her skeleton. So Bruce Orr, who is in a, who's a historian and a retired homicide investigator, believes that the body of the a white man could have been possibly a member of the highway gang who was trying to betray them or maybe had crossed the rest of the gang, one of the other members of the gang in some way. And he also points out that uh, in 1819, slavery was still prevalent. It's possible that the body of the black woman was actually a former slave who had been killed and then just buried. While waiting for trial, John and Lavinia Fisher were kept in a separate cell from the rest of the jail population because they were married and so they convinced the sheriff to give them that courtesy. John Fisher and in acquaintance who was also part of the highway gang named Joseph Roberts came up with a plan to escape from the jail cell. John, Joseph, and Lavinia dug a hole beneath the window in their jail cell and then they tied up a bunch of blankets and clothes and tossed out the window as a rope to climb down. So Joseph went down first and he was able to escape but while John was going down the makeshift rope that they had been using ripped and he fell 20 feet down and it ended up stranding Lavinia in the jail cell. But rather than choosing to escape, both John and Joseph stayed in the area to try and figure out a way to break Lavinia out of her jail cell. Back in that time period, that jail was horribly managed. It was completely disgusting and oftentimes prisoners would just be left for days to fend for themselves. You know, like they didn't go and do the routine checks or anything like that. So that's why it was possible that Lavinia could have been in the jail cell for a few days before they noticed that there was anyone else missing. But eventually word got out that two of the prisoners had escaped and um, it made national headlines, which particularly called into the questions the governor's capability to manage his state when he couldn't even manage to keep two prisoners from j escaping the jail cell. Um, so this huge manhunt formed and eventually Joseph and John were caught. After the attempted escape, all three were moved into the general jail population and basically any chance that they had hoped for a pardon or a lesser sentence was completely derailed. On February 4th, 1820, they were taken to the gallows. Both John and Lavinia were wearing a loose-fitting white robe over their clothes, which might be the source of the wedding dress myth. And now, because it was a public execution, everyone, and it was such a popular story, everyone came to go see the Fishers being hanged. But since John and Lavinia had been lobbying through their lawyer for a lesser punishment, military presence was also also required because the government was afraid that there would be some type of escape attempt uh, facilitated by the people who were coming to view the execution. John, it turned out, ended up just walking up to the gallows himself peacefully. However, according to one historian, Lavinia stamped in rage and swore with all the vehemence of her amazing vocabulary, calling down damnation on a governor who would let a woman swing. The crowd stood shocked into silence while she cut short one curse with another and ended with a volley of shrieks. When Lavinia finally quieted down, there was a reverend named Reverend Furman who read a letter out loud from John Fisher, where John Fisher thanked the reverend for explaining the mysteries of our holy religion. Um, and then John told the crowd that he was innocent and he blamed one of the colonels for coaching the witness who accused him. 
just so that they could have people to blame for these crimes. Now, when the Reverend tried to approach Lavinia to allow her to seek spiritual guidance, she instead told him to be quiet and address the crowd saying, if you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. I'll be there soon. Which to me, out of everything that has been exaggerated by Lavinia Fisher, the fact that her last words, that these were her actual last words, and those aren't a part of the tale that's been exaggerated is so crazy to me because out of everything I've heard about Lavinia Fisher, I've never heard her last words. And I feel like those more than anything else would make her the most infamous. I read a book called Six Miles to Charleston, The True Story of John and Lavinia Fisher, which is where I got a lot of this information. And it's written by a former homicide investigator, Bruce Orr. One interesting theory that he has is that not only were the Fishers innocent, but they were actually victims of political corruption. Since only the owners of the Six Mile House were executed, he says that maybe they were taken care of by the government so that the government could take the Fisher's property and use it as a new naval base. Whether or not that is true, a fun fact is that the Charleston Naval Hospital in North, in North Charleston sits on the land that was once occupied by the Six Mile House. Whether or not you believe in the political government conspiracy theory, I find that it is interesting that that could be a reason for why John and Lavinia Fisher were singled out so much as being the true perpetrators of, this, of these crimes. Either way, that was the legend of Lavinia Fisher, and I hope you enjoyed both the mythologized version and the more historically accurate events that occurred. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Um, you can reach me at Frumius Reads on Twitter or Instagram. That is all that I have for you guys, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Okay, goodbye. This episode is brought to you by Podbean Live. Podbean Livestream is a unique platform for turning your podcast production into a live show. It's open to any podcast or on any hosting site. Easily invite multiple co-hosts and guests to join your live stream. Earn money from live show ticket sales and get listener rewards and engage your audience in new and exciting ways. Ready to get started? Sign up today at www.podbean.com slash live. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash live.